Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, let me uh, add this morning a uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms, all the grandmoms, all the moms-to-be. Uh, it is so good to see you, so good to see uh, so many smiling faces, and uh, moms, just remember on your way out the door today, we have a special gift for you, uh, so please be sure to pick that up on your way out uh, this morning. That'll be great. I want to take a moment and share with you. A lot of you guys don't get to see what happens behind the scenes of uh, baptism, and so I was back there with uh, Daniel and with Brooklyn and uh, Lily, and um, I think Lily probably had one of the more insightful comments today as she, uh, Matt and I were talking, she shared that uh, since she was being baptized on Mother's Day, this now takes her off the hook for getting her mom anything for Mother's Day over the next uh, several years. And so as her pastor, I have to affirm those words. I mean, I think she may be onto something here. And so uh, anyway, Lily, thank you for that insight uh, this morning. Job well done, my friend. Uh, but anyway, it is uh, good to be together again. It is good to be in the house of the Lord again. If this is your first time with us, we just started the series where we are walking through the epistles of John, doing a study through the epistles of John. We're currently in First John in our series called Abiding Light. Now, at this point in our series, we've already seen John clearly writing to Christians, calling them to remember the incarnate Christ, Christ who is both fully God, fully divine, and also fully human. And next, what we saw was that John would then call the believers to live in the light as Christ is in the light. And if you were with us last week, we shared a uh, circa 1990s uh, CCM uh, moment from uh, contemporary Christian music. But anyway, moving on from there, John is now going to uh, take this teaching one step further to remind uh, believers of the blessing of assurance that we now have because of Jesus Christ our Lord. And not just the blessing of the assurance we have, but also how our salvation in Christ should lead us to know that we have assurance in him because we know him, because we love him, and we desire to obey him. So as believers today, we have to ask ourselves the following question. Is it even possible to truly know God and yet experience or have no life change? Well, clearly we know from the teachings of, uh, from Scripture that it is clearly possible to know God. Satan himself knew God. The demons knew God. In fact, it was James in writing in James chapter 2, verse 19, he tells us that you say you know God good. Even the demons know, and yet they shudder. So the answer to the question, is it possible to know God and not experience any life change? The answer is yes, it is possible to know God. But believing in God, loving God, and obeying God are totally different items. And so as we look to our text here in 1 John, John's going to teach us that it's one thing to say that you know God, but it's something completely different, something totally else to really even truly know who he is. And so if we were to go back and, and read our first two chapters again here in 1 John, we will quickly see that John is giving believers a very simple litmus test to see if we truly know God. And he's going to return to these questions again and again and again as we continue to walk through 1 John, 2 John, and then 3 John. 
Our first question appeared in John 1, verses 5 through 1 John 2, 2. And that question was, do I believe rightly in Jesus Christ as Lord? His second question is going to appear in our text today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And that question is, do I obey the commands of God according to the word of God? And then his third litmus question that he's going to ask comes in our passage today in verses 7 through 11, which is this, do I love others according to the commands and the will of God. So as believers today, our answer to these questions should lead us to joy because hopefully our answers affirm what it is that we believe about Jesus Christ and what that means for our salvation. Now again, I want to remind you, if you're a member of our church, these questions should seem very similar to who we are as a church. You see, we've adopted a very simple phrase here at Southside Baptist Church. We say that we are together as one, speaking of unity according to the commands of Christ. We then adopted a a second phrase saying that we are here to teach the word faithfully, meaning we will faithfully be obedient to the commands of God according to the word of God, and that we would love others boldly, recognizing that our call as believers, the command that God has given to us, is to go and make him known to a world that is desperate for hope. Now, perhaps a better way to look at assurance can be found in a quote that I've often heard from other people. It's mainly attributed uh, to great leaders, particularly John Piper. He says this, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. So in our text, John's goal is very simple. John is going to provide an easy way for us to know the blessing of assurance that we now have because of our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We will begin reading in verse 3, and we will read to verse 11 today. And once you have found your place, and if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, these are John's words writing to Christian believers. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we can keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness." And does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to be here, to be in this place, to praise you and to worship you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've already been able to celebrate you through believer's baptism that we saw this morning. We praise you for the opportunity that we've had to, to hear your word spoken, to pray your word, to sing your word. And Father, we pray that in these next few moments that we have together as we study your word, Father, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. So God, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds for your truth. And God, I pray that as we hear your word, may we walk in faithful obedience to your call and your command. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this day and for this time. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for desiring us. Father, we praise you. We place our faith and hope in you now. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, just to set the scene for you again, I want to remind you that John writes here about how Christians should know the assurance that they now have because of Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, many people at this point would probably say, Pastor, why is this an important text for us to know? Why is it important for us to be assured of our faith? Well, the reality is many of us have walked with questions. Many have walked with doubt. Many of us have shared the gospel with people who believe that there is absolutely no hope for them because of and you fill in the blank, whether it's some sin that they've committed that they don't believe they can ever be forgiven of because it's something they just simply don't believe and they don't have questions for. It could be a variety of things. In fact, I remember as a church planter living in Atlanta, one of the most common things that we heard from people was this. We never, we never came across people who had never heard of Jesus. Rather, we came across people who had heard of Jesus. They knew Jesus. They attended church. They even worshiped Jesus. But then when they started having questions about their faith, instead of getting answers according to the word of God, the answers they were given were this. You should never ask that question. Because if you do, you'll end up in hell. And so most of them turned away from faith. So it's clear that we're going to have questions of faith. It's clear that we're going to have struggles. It's clear that we're going to have doubts. It is incredibly clear that there are people around us who are going to have those same struggles and same doubts. And so as we read this passage today, John is hoping to cast aside whatever doubts we may have about whether or not we are saved. And so he's going to give us simple steps in order to enjoy the blessing of assurance that we now have as believers in Christ. So if you look again at verses 3 through 6, here we see John calling the believers to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's telling them to know God. He's telling them to love God. And then he's going to say to know God and to love God means that we are now willing to obey God. Now, in speaking of this particular point, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said this, only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes. You see, Bonhoeffer, in thinking upon the text of 1 John and looking at the teachings of John, sees that teaching that faith in Christ should always and will always lead us to obedience. 
So this obedience to Christ not only reveals the authenticity of our faith, but hopefully leads to the maturing of our love as we grow in grace and as we experience personal growth in Christ-likeness. And so again, as we look in our text in verses 3 through 4, John opens this portion of the letter by connecting obedience to assurance of salvation. You see, John says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I love the word keep here in this passage. In fact, it's a word that you probably want to underline because it's a good word for us to see. You see, the word keep means to guard. And so John is teaching us that we are to guard God's commands as if they are a precious treasure. And so John shows us that our natural response to the truth and beauty of God's grace is found in Jesus Christ, or which is found in Jesus Christ. That truth is then to obey him, and we do this by guarding his word and by keeping his word close to us. John moves from there into verse 4, and he goes on to say, Whoever says that I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You see, John tells us that that for those who claim to know Christ but don't keep his word close in their hearts, John says of them, you are liars, for the truth is not in you. Because you say you know God, but you don't keep the word of God close to you, John says that you are spiritual deceivers, and therefore your faith is fake. John is teaching us that for those who continue to say that I know him, but I do not keep his commandments. He says, you are claiming to have something that you truly don't have, which is a genuine relationship with Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, John is showing us in verse four that our desire should be to obey God and thus our decision because of that desire will be to obey. You see, when our desires match our decision to glorify God, then we can now know for certain that we know Jesus as Lord. So we have to ask ourselves the following question. Do we desire to know Jesus Christ? Do we desire to know him and therefore we make time to spend with him in his word, both personally but also corporately. You see, I want to tell you today that it's not enough to simply go through the motions of church attendance and say, well, I went to church on Sunday, therefore I can check this box off my list. Rather, you must believe and you must love and you must guard and obey the very word of God. You see, the only way this can be done is by spending time with the Lord in his word. Now we get to verse 5, and John's going to double down on this passage by teaching that to keep the commandments of God is a clear sign that we know God. He says in verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So you see, for John, it wasn't simply about guarding the word of God here, but rather he takes it one step further and says it's about delighting in the commands of God because we delight in the God who gives those commands. And so clearly this verse stands in direct contrast of those that he calls liars in verse 4. 
So for verse five, this passage now advances the point that John is trying to make about our assurance in Christ. You see, John gives us this passage to continue to weave together the importance of knowing God, loving God, and obeying God. And so John is going to then use this phrase. He says, the love of God is perfected. You see, here John teaches that as we continue to obey God, as we continue to carefully keep or to guard the word of God, then our love for God will continue to grow and mature as a direct result of our obedience and our faithfulness to the very word of God. And so it's here we find the beauty of our text. The more we know God, the more we love God. The more we love God, the more we desire to know God. Do you see how this begins to work together for John? Now, maybe I can unpack this a little bit further by giving you a simple illustration. Maybe you're here today and you are married. Maybe you've been married for a short time. Maybe you've been married for a long time. Maybe you're here today and you've been married a short time that feels like a long time. Either way, if you were married in the room, you can probably relate to this. Marriage is not easy. In fact, that's the first thing I tell people when I'm doing marriage counseling with them. It is not easy. And the illustration that I heard that I often give is it's like two speeding locomotives on the same track coming at each other. There's no way to stop. There's no way to slow down. And they are just going to hit each other head on. And you can't take your eyes off of the carnage that is about to take place. That's how marriage was described to me. I got to say that was right. Because there is nothing more challenging than taking two independent people and bringing them together for the very first time. You see, as you get to know your spouse, you realize the more you get to know them, the more in love with them you are. Because the reality is when you first get married, you don't know everything there is to know about your spouse. Many of you wives may attest to that being a good thing today. Now, I don't know about you, but I at least know in my house and, and for my wife, the more, the more I'm with her, the more I spend time with her, the more I love her. In fact, I would probably argue, as many of the men would today, that I love my wife more today than I did yesterday. And I'm sure that if my wife were to get up here and share her words, many of the women would agree with her when they would say, well, I'm still taking some time to get warmed up to him. But I think it may work out now. I just saw a lot of women nudge their husbands. I don't know if I should be concerned or not. But anyway, we'll move on. You see, the more we know one another, the more we love. And the more we love, the more we desire to know of the other person. And so when it comes to our faith in God, John's asking us a very simple question. He's saying, look, what does your love for God look like? Does it look like a an obedience, an act of obedience? Does your love, because of that love and because of that obedience, does it, does it reveal your desire to know him? And so we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. Now, John moves from there into verse six. And he here brings back around to how we are to abide in Christ. And so here in verse six, we now see John's second whoever says statement. You see, John comes back again to how we, as believers in Christ, are to now remain in Christ. 
Now, Jesus has already spoken about this abiding in Christ or remaining in Christ a good bit uh, back in John chapter 15. And you can go ahead and go back and read that for yourselves. And so John is now going to pick up on this theme of what it means to abide in Christ. In fact, as you continue to read through 1 John, you're going to notice that John's going to use the word abide about 23 times in this particular epistle. And so here is John's point. John believes that abiding in Christ comes as a natural outgrowth of knowing Jesus Christ and loving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so John is giving us the idea that by abiding in Christ, we now see the need and the call to continue walking in Christ and walking with Christ. Now notice in our text, John calls us to walk in the same way in which he Walked. Now here John is calling us to imitate our Savior. And if you're reading from the ESV, you'll notice that it uses the word ought, which is where John is now teaching us that our moral obligation is for our walk to match our talk. In other words, to abide in Christ now mean, means that we live like Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, do our actions match the way we talk? Better yet, do our actions match the way we worship? When people see you worshiping on a Sunday morning, are you still living out that call of worship, living out that praise and adoration to God when you step foot back in your schools or in your workplaces on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on? You see, this abiding in Christ... By imitating Christ. This is not only a theme for John that he wants us to hear today, but clearly we see it as a theme throughout the New Testament. In fact, Paul's going to write about it several times. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Again, to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so in picking up this theme, John is going to teach us, like many scholars have already said before us, like father, like son, like savior, like saint. You see, Christ's life and example should be the pattern with which we model our lives after as well. Abiding in Christ allows us to live like Christ. Now again, here's a simple truth that we need to hear today. We don't have to be Christ in order to be assured. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Some people go about their lives thinking that it's works that's going to get them to heaven, but rather I want to tell you today that it is your faith, and out of your faith in Christ comes works. This is what John is going to say. James also teaches on it, and so does Paul. They would all amen and affirm this statement. However, there are many among us as Christians who think, no, I have to be Jesus in order to be saved. Well, my question to that is, who among you can now walk on water? Who among you can now turn water to wine? Who among you can now heal the sick? Who among you can now raise the dead? And yes, there are Christians who believe that they can do that very thing. But the reality is they're missing the point. That as Christians, we are called to be like Christ. 
We are called to be in Christ, but at the same time, we are still wretched sinners in need of a Savior. We are not going to always get it right. We will sin and fall short of the glory of God. However, for the believer today, we should want, we should desire to be more like Christ. And in that desire, we are now assured. Now, I love what John Stott says about this particular point. He says, we cannot claim to abide in Christ unless we are like Christ. And so if you notice what's happening as we come back to our text here in John, John is building upon a simple point. He starts by saying we know him because we know we love him. He then teaches us, and because we love him, we now abide in him. And then notice what John says by the time we get to the end of verse 6. He says because we abide in him, we now want to be like him. So we have to ask ourselves again today, do we desire to know and love God in such a way that we want our lives to look more like him? Do our actions and do our words reflect the actions and words of Jesus Christ? Are we speaking words of grace and truth through like-minded believers who need to be encouraged and edified according to the word of God? Are we speaking words of truth that would ultimately point people to the hope that can be found in knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Are we pointing people to the one that we can hope in? Now, John moves from there in verses 7 through 11, and here John's going to now change gears again from knowing God according to his commands to now loving others. And so here John builds on this ever-growing theme of knowing Jesus and obeying God, and now he's going to add to it and loving others. And so John opens this section by affirming his love for those to whom he is now writing to. He calls them beloved. Now, this term is actually one of endearment from John, one from a place of heartfelt love and concern that John has for the believers. So notice this, John doesn't just simply care deeply for what it is that he is teaching. John also cares deeply for the ones to whom he is now teaching. Notice this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So see, as believers, it's not simply enough for us to say that we love the word of God and we love to teach the word of God. Rather, we have to be people who also love those who are created in the image of God. Now, let's just pause for a moment and think about this because I can't help but imagine and wonder how different things would be if we were to approach one another with this same type of grace, but also this same type of love. Imagine what those conversations would be like. Imagine what the conversations would be like if we pointed people to the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ and we begin practicing by showing them the same grace and love that Christ offered to us. 
Now back in our text, John is going to now tie together the idea of what right love for God is and how it's essential for a right love for our brothers and sisters. He gets into verse 7 and he says, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. So here John is teaching that this command to love is not a new thing. Rather, this is an old command, a command um, that came from Christ back in John 13, verse 34 and 35, but ultimately has its roots in ancient commands that trace all the way back to Leviticus 19. In fact, it's in that passage that we see the second great command. And so John writes this passage to remind believers that as believers who know God as Savior and know Him as Lord, as believers who love God, we should be a people who live a life that has now changed us into being loving people. Now again, let's take some stock here for a moment. When we think back on our week this past week, how have we done at loving our families? How have we done at loving the people around us? Now, i got to be honest with you for a moment. As your pastor today, there are times where it is a struggle to love people. Now, again, don't take that to mean if you call me and I ignore your call, I'm not ignoring it because I don't love you. I'm just really busy. It just happens. I'm probably on the phone with somebody else loving them. I know Steve just looked at me because, you know, I had to ignore Steve a couple times this week. But we finally got in touch with each other, didn't we, brother? All right, good. Okay, I just want to make sure we're good there. I love you, man. All right, good. We're good. Perfect. But I got to tell you, after being at work all day, and you can understand this, by the time I get home, there's generally not much left to give. And so what happens in that moment? I'd love to tell you that as your pastor and as a husband and as a spiritual leader of my home, I wish I could tell you that every day I come home, I am leading my family faithfully. But the reality is I'm not. The reality is there are times where my family gets less than 10% of who I am. And you know, there's a problem with that. Because if I'm going to be the pastor of a church, if I'm going to be the leader in a community or the leader in the workplace, then I have to first be the spiritual leader of my home. God has called us according to his word. Men, please hear this. You have been called to be the spiritual leaders of your home. And so how are you lovingly leading your family in the word of God? How are you lovingly praying over your family? How are you showing grace to your children? How are you encouraging and edifying your wives and husband today? By the way, it's Mother's Day. You have a great opportunity to practice that love today. Wives, in the same way, how are we encouraging our husbands? How are you encouraging your children? Maybe you're a single today. If you're single, how are you praying? Not just for your future spouse, but how are you praying for yourself that you will be the husband and wife that you need to be in order for God to be glorified in your relationship? You see, the reality is we have been given an incredible love by God. And so we have to ask ourselves, because of Christ's love for us, how are we loving our families? How are we loving the people around us? Yes, it's not easy, but it is the call. So then we move from there into verse 8. 
And some may read this verse and ask this question. Now, wait a minute. Is John now contradicting himself as he talks about this is not a new commandment, but now he tells us it is a new commandment? And the answer to that question is no. You see, John is teaching that this command can be traced back to Moses, but it took on a new character and meaning with the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the bridge that ties this passage together can be found in the phrase, at the same time. You see, here John teaches that this command is ancient, but at the same time, this command became new and true to us as it was taught and lived by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see, by Christ's example, the command to love, which was given in the day of Moses, has now been strengthened, deepened, expanded upon, and given more depth of meaning because of the incarnation of Christ. Now again, let me unpack that phrase for a moment. You see, we have known the meaning of love. But in Christ Jesus, we can now read, we have seen, and as believers today, we have experienced a supernatural love that is for those who love Christ, who abide in Christ, and who call upon Christ as Lord. In fact, this love is so great, according to John, that the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Now, just think about that for a moment. Are we seeing the transformational love of Jesus Christ? You see, his love is so great. His love is so powerful that darkness is now on the run. And the reality is, according to John, that darkness cannot and will not outrun the light of God. So you see, for us as believers today, these days are hard right now. There is confusion, there is heartache, there is worry, there is concern, there is distress and stress because of work and family and life and so on and so on. And then if you turn on the news, it's simply more bad news. So these days are hard. But as believers today, we should be resting in knowing that all this hard, all of this sin, all of this Darkness is already departing as the true light continues to shine through. And that light came as the light of the world which has been seen in the fullness of Jesus Christ who is the good news, who has brought us the good news and one day his eternal reign is coming. In fact, his reign is just around the corner. So Christian, hold on to hope. Jesus is coming again. And by his grace, that day will come soon. So you see, for John, this love was not new. This love is as old as God. This love is rooted in the law, and yet this love is new to us because of the new depth of love that comes from knowing and loving Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have to ask ourselves at this point, for the sake of assurance, do we understand, do we see, do we know the depth of the riches of Christ's love for us today? Are you living in hope? Are you holding on 
to the eternal future that we have in Christ Jesus or has worry taken a hold of your life? Now, John moves from there in verses 9 through 11, and we come to John's final whoever says statement in our passage. And this actually may be the strongest possible contrast between those who are in the light and those who continue to walk in darkness. So as you look to verse 9, John literally is saying here, if you say you walk in the light and life of God, yet you hate your brother, then you are still in darkness. Now this hate comes from a place where we seek evil or we seek vengeance or we seek wickedness against our brother. This is where gossip and slander come from. And so John argues at this point that we cannot be in Christ if we continue to walk in anger, if we continue to walk in hate, or we continue to walk with malice in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters. You see, this is why we end our service with communion, to not only be reminded of the grace and hope that could be found in Jesus Christ, but I want you to pay attention. We always ask you to take a moment to reflect upon the passage. We always ask you to take a moment to pray because we want you to do a heart check before you come to the table. You see, the reality is if you come to the table and you still have an issue of anger against your brother, then you potentially come to the table casting judgment upon yourself because you have not sought reconciliation with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, the reality is there are people who are in our churches today. There are people in our church today. There are people who watch our services at home and they are still walking around bitter. And the only question I have for you today is why? Why are you so angry? Why are you so bitter? Why are you so frustrated? I mean, just think about this for a moment. Why do you like to walk around in bitterness? Because when you walk around in bitterness, it's like walking around with your fists clenched. I want you to do me a favor. Everybody, hold up your hands for a moment. Clench your fists as tight as you can. If you've got to think of something that has angered you or hurt you or frustrated you, as tight as you can, like you're fixing to punch out the walls, okay? Now what I want you to do is go to the wall and punch it out. No, I'm kidding. That would be helpful, though. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. All right, hold these fists as tight as you possibly can and ask yourself, why do we walk around with this hate? Why do we walk around with this anger? Why do we walk around with this frustration? Why do we walk around with this bitterness? Do you feel how tight and do you feel the pressure that is now in your hand? Are your fingers beginning to get numb? Now do yourself a favor and open your hands. Now let me ask you a question. Which one feels better? Which one is better? Is it a fist or is it an open hand? You see, John is teaching us in verses 9 through 11 that it is better for us to learn to forgive. And at the same time, it is better for us to learn to be forgiven. We get to verse 10 and again, here comes John's contrast. He says, if you consistently love your brother, even in spite of his faults, then you have the light and the life of God in you. John tells us that there is no cause for stumbling. In other words, if you love Jesus and you are forgiving your brother and allowing your brother to forgive you, then you are now walking in grace. You are walking in truth and you have no offense against you because of your hate or because of your anger. Now think about this for a moment. John has just told us that our anger and our hate only hurts us. 
Do you realize that when we, are, when we are angry with someone, when we are bitter towards someone, do you realize that they probably have no idea? Do you realize that when you're home at night and you're frustrated and you go to bed and that frustration just keeps you awake and so you start playing the mental chess game of, man, I should have said this and then he would have said that and then I would have said this and then I'd have popped him off a 20-page email to see how he felt? Do you realize that while you're thinking through that, keeping yourself awake, that brother has no idea and they are probably resting well at home? I mean, come on. In our hate and our bitterness, we are the only ones who are losing rest. We are the only ones who are carrying that burden. So again, forgiveness and love and grace, they have to be the key to who we are as Christians. And so we need to show grace and at the same time love people in a way that is both authentic and transparent to them for the glory of God. Then we get to verse 11. And here in verse 11, John teaches us why the previous text was so important. You see, he says to us, for those who continue to hate, who continue to walk in darkness, he says that those people will remain in darkness. Those who continue to hate will not only remain in darkness, but they will continue to live in darkness. And not only will they live in the darkness, but they will stumble around not knowing where it is that they are going. Why? Because they are blind. And so here is our truth from this passage. The truth is, if we look at our own lives, have we ever had a moment or a situation where anger helped? Now, I'm not talking about righteous anger. I'm not talking about the the kind of anger where somebody misrepresents the word of God or they misquote scripture and you all of a sudden pull the Jesus card and start flipping tables. I'm not talking about righteous anger here. Rather, I'm talking about just bitterness towards someone simply because you don't like them or simply because you don't agree with them? Has there ever been a situation where that anger helped? The answer is no. You see, our hate and our anger, according to John, only leads us to walk around in the dark. It leads us to tripping over things that don't matter. This is when we begin to nitpick at things and nitpick at people simply because we don't like them. And then ultimately we become blind to what God is doing. Why? Because we only see hate. Now, i got to ask you this question, and this question came up several times in several conversations that I had this week. There's a lot of people who are walking around wondering today with a lot of frustration and heartache on their minds. They're, they're, they're wondering about years gone by. They're frustrated by all the changes that have happened in light of COVID. They're, they're frustrated by all the changes that have happened here at Southside Baptist Church because of COVID and because of the changes that needed to be made according to the word of God that were deemed necessary by the leadership of the church and voted on and approved by the membership of the church. And here's the one thing that keeps coming up in all these conversations conversations, whether it's with members of our church or even talking to other pastors who are frustrated about what is happening in the life of their church. Here is my question to those people. For the folks who are wondering and worrying about what might have been and who is here versus who's not here, my question is this. Stop for a moment and ask yourself, have you focused on what God is currently doing in this place? Now, I can't speak for every church in our community, but I can speak to what God is doing here at Southside Baptist Church. 
I can speak to the fact that recently we voted in a constitution and bylaws that directly reflects who we are as a church, especially living in a time where there is so much confusion and so much lack of defining of who a person is. So when somebody comes to our church, they now have a document that specifically lists out who we are as a church and how we govern ourselves. In light of COVID, we have now moved into a direction where soon we're going to be installing and ordaining elders. And I know right now as a congregation, we're not experiencing the joy that comes from having elders in our church, but that day is coming. You're going to have a day where all of a sudden you're going to get a phone call or someone's going to show up at your door and that person's going to be an elder and they're going to be there to check in on you and not to simply see how you're doing, but they're going to ask you how you're doing spiritually. They're going to ask you how your quiet times are going. They're going to ask you about your family, your friends, who are you leading to Christ? Um, They're going to ask you what you've been reading and how you've been reading and then they're going to ask you how can we help? You're going to be cared for and discipled in a way that has not been seen in many of our churches today. Have you stopped and focused on what God is doing? Look at our service this morning. We opened by baptizing three people. The reality is that moment is Jason could have came up here and prayed. Aaron could have came up here and read the word. Corey could have led worship. We could have closed in prayer. That was the gospel lived out in the lives of people. Have we stopped to see what God is doing? At the end of this service, we're going to be commissioning two of our very own who are being sent out as short-term missionaries. Why? For the purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. In a few weeks, you're going to have three more brothers who are going to stand before you, and they're going to share with you, and we're going to pray over them about how God is calling them to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in our local community. Have you stopped to consider what God is doing? We now have six gospel communities that are up and going and thriving where people come together for the purpose of breaking bread together. They gather and they talk about the word. They pray. They invite their neighbors who may not know the Lord for the simple fact of sharing faith with them. Have you stopped to consider what God is doing? You see, here's the reality for us this morning. I don't want us to miss what God is doing in this place because we are so blind to our own frustration. We are blind to our own anger, to our own hate, and to our own bitterness. You see, those who continue to walk in darkness are those who have no love. They do not have the light of Christ in them. And sadly, there is an absence of God in their lives. John would say it's like a blind man leading others in a dark room. And they have no idea where they are going. You see, John in our text was hoping to offer the blessing of assurance for those who believe in Christ Jesus. And so like John notes for us this morning, in order to love God, in order to trust God, we have to now know him. We have to know the one who is called Jesus Christ according to the word and know the one in whom that there is now no darkness in at all. 
You see, in knowing Jesus, we need to know the one who forgives sin, know the one who acts as both our advocate, but also our atonement for our sins. And so when we obey God, we will love God, we will trust God, and ultimately we will obey God. And so our desire, hopefully, prayerfully, is to follow God's commands And as we follow God's commands, we will grow as our desire to follow God grows within us. This is how John tells us we can now know the blessing of assurance. Let's pray together.